Welcome to History Obscura Podcast. I am your host, Mandy Gardner. And today I'd like to start by talking about one of my favorite little factoids. You might remember this one from the scientific revolution of the 16th and 17th centuries, when the astronomer Giordano Bruno predicted that not only does the Earth move around the sun and not the other way around, but that perhaps objects in the night sky were also planets and maybe those planets were home to other kinds of people. You may also remember that poor Giordano Bruno was burned to death in the year 1600 for writing down those very thoughts and publishing them in his book On the Infinite Universe and Worlds. Pressured endlessly by the Catholic Church to recant his plural world theory, Bruno refused and was punished upside down tied to a stake, and set alight with his tongue literally strapped down to prevent his speaking. The execution took place in the Campo dei Fiori, a Roman marketplace, and afterwards the man's ashes were thrown into the river Tiber. He was 52. Before Bruno, it becomes a little more difficult to pinpoint moments of history and prehistory in which humankind pondered the possibility of more worlds and more creatures. One such person, however, lived just a few centuries before the ill-fated and forward-thinking Napolitanum, and that was Nicholas of Cusa, a German Catholic cardinal born in 1401. Cusa's assertion that the universe may contain multiple worlds and extraterrestrial creatures came not from his astronomical observations, but from his biblical expertise. He posited that, if God were indeed an all-powerful creator, then he could create as many worlds as he wanted, and with people on them too. He theorized all extraterrestrial bodies could be inhabited by men, plants, and animals, including the sun. William Vorolong, a contemporary of Cusa, acknowledged the possibility that Jesus could have visited extraterrestrial worlds to redeem their inhabitants. Descartes wrote that there was no means to prove that the stars were not inhabited by intelligent creatures, but their existence was a matter of speculation. Historically, the idea of aliens arose more than 2,000 years ago among the ancient atomists as part of an overall philosophical argument rooted not in evidence but in the desire to rid the world of religion. According to Epicurus and Lucretius of 4th century BCE Greece, belief that the gods interfere in human affairs was the root of all evil causing human beings to engage in all manner of vile and foolish activities, from war to child sacrifice. In Lucretius's famous words, which 17 centuries later were to become a favorite taunt of the anti-Christian elements of the Enlightenment, that's tantum religio potuit suader malorum, or only religion was able to persuade men of such evil things, The Epicurean solution was a rather modern-sounding one. 
Eliminate religion by embracing a materialist view of the universe. The atomists got rid of the need for a divine creator of nature by asserting that everything in the universe came into being as a result of the chance jostling of brute matter, aka atoms. And because the number of atoms in a limitless universe is infinite, the random motion of the atoms must have produced a plurality of worlds. Lucretius declared in On the Nature of the Universe, if the purposeless congregation and coalescence of atoms brought about all living things in our world, that's plants, people, and everything in between, then certainly in other regions there are other earths and various tribes of men and breeds of beasts. A few years later, French science populizer Bernard Le Bovier de Fontenelle had surveyed the prospects for life in the solar system in his conversations on the plurality of worlds, an imaginary dialogue between a philosopher and an uneducated but intelligent woman known as the Marquise. It would be very strange that the Earth was as populated as it is, and the other planets weren't at all, the philosopher told the Marquise. Although he didn't think people could live on the sun, if there were any, they'd be blinded by its brightness, he sided with those who envisioned inhabitants on other planets and even the moon. Just as there have been and still are a prodigious number of men foolish enough to worship the moon, there are people on the moon who worship the earth. In 1961, Astronomer Frank Drake developed an equation to gauge the likelihood of extraterrestrial life's existence. By the 1990s, he estimated that 10,000 planets possessed advanced civilizations in the Milky Way alone, even before anybody really knew for sure that planets outside the solar system really existed. So, as Fermi put it, where is everybody? According to the Rare Earth Hypothesis, maybe extraterrestrials don't exist after all. Fermi's paradox posits that the universe is vast and old, so that advanced civilizations out in space should have matured enough by now to send emissaries to Earth. Yet none have. At least none that we can all agree on. More on that from Tom DeLong if you have any questions. The rare earth hypothesis posits that complex extraterrestrial life is an improbable phenomenon and likely to be rare throughout the universe as a whole. The term rare earth originates from the book Rare Earth, Why Complex Life is Uncommon in the Universe, a book by Peter Ward, a geologist and paleontologist, and Donald Brownlee, an astronomer and astrobiologist in the year 2000. The universe is either teeming with extraterrestrial life or completely void of it, depending on which way you look at it. Hoping the former to be correct, however, multitudes of Victorians went crazy for alien stories and the possible search for life on Mars during the 19th century. It was in 1820 when Carl Friedrich Gauss, the German prodigy most famous for his mathematical work, came up with an early idea for how to contact any intelligent beings living on the moon. In a stretch of Siberian tundra, humans could build a giant figure, the geometric proof of the Pythagorean theorem 
in which the elements, a right triangle and three squares, would be so large that they could be seen from the moon. In 1840, Joseph von Littrow of the Vienna Observatory had a similar idea. He proposed excavating trenches about 20 miles wide to form geometric shapes, filling those trenches with water and kerosene, and lighting them up at night to increase their visibility. Both Gauss and von Littrow reasoned that, if there was intelligent life out there, those beings would recognize mathematical truths as a sign that Earth had its own intelligent beings. Math would be the universal language. Soon, though, the idea of building giant math problems was abandoned. Instead, scientists proposed, Earth could flash lights across space to signal moonmen or Martians, if they existed, with a version of interplanetary telegraphy. Gauss promptly came up with an elaborate mirror plan involving 100 mirrors. 16 square foot each, these mirrors would create a giant heliotrope, that is a light-beaming instrument that he had invented, that could reflect sunlight all the way to the moon. And this was just the beginning. In 1874, Charles Cross, a French inventor with a flair for poetry, floated the idea of focusing electric light on Mars or Venus using parabolic mirrors. The next year, Edward Engelbert Novius came up with a scheme involving 22,500 electric lamps. Then, an astronomer writing under the name A. Mercier proposed putting a series of reflectors on the Eiffel Tower, which would capture light at sunlight and redirect it towards Mars. He also had an idea for a series of mirrors that would transfer sunlight from the light side of a mountain to its dark side so the signal to Mars would be clearer. In each of these scenarios, the light would flash a simple code to show to whoever or whatever might be out there that the signal was intentional. By the turn of the century, enthusiasts for extraterrestrial communication were convinced that interplanetary messaging could really be possible. There was even a prize meant to stimulate research. And that was the Pierre Guzman Prize, or the Pre-Guzman, established in the will of a wealthy Frenchwoman. And it would go to whoever could communicate with a planet or other star and receive a response. The sum was 100,000 francs to be given to a person who succeeded in communicating with a celestial body other than Mars, for some reason, and receive a response. Until this occurred, the will also allowed for the accumulated interest on the 100,000 francs to be given every five years to a person who had made significant progress in astronomy. Disappointingly, the Guzman Prize was never awarded to anyone, as nobody could prove they were able to communicate with anyone outside of the planet Earth. Even Nikola Tesla failed to win the coveted prize, although he genuinely believed that he had been privy to an extraterrestrial electronic message while working on his 200-foot radio transmitter in Colorado Springs. But that's another story, and you can find it in my show archives entitled Tesla and the Martians.
good night, whoever is listening. Good night.